place where we gather together to mix the best of polyvagal theory, gemotherapy, and Asian medicine to support your healing process. Megan, welcome back. Cameron, welcome back. Good to have you ladies here today. It's good to be here. Very much. We began this new series defining a much overlooked idea when it came to healing, and that is the idea of feeling safe, feeling safe in our body, feeling safe in our environment. And it seems only natural that our next step would be to take a um, excellent question from our audience. And Megan, I believe you received one. Would you like to share that? Yeah, absolutely. I'm so glad that we're giving this some attention because this is a really uh, meaningful question, not just for the person posing the question, but it touched something very deep in me that I think is worth exploring. And the question is that this comes from a loyal listener of the podcast and um, somebody who's done a lot of work on themselves already and is certainly on a healing path. And she has an extensive history of trauma. And her question is, as she's listening and as she's starting to become more familiar with the states of the autonomic nervous system and looking at what we call autonomic habits. So how our past experiences and our traumas have informed the autonomic nervous system. And we have formed habits of the way that we um, relate to ourselves and to the world. And her, uh, her question is based on that experience and how deep some of these habits feel and how conditioned she feels in this, is it possible to reorient and rehabitualize enough that um, new habits not only can be formed, but can become um, part of our, um, part of the way that we relate to ourselves and others. Wow, that, that question takes my breath away. And yeah. I know personally, there was a time where I didn't believe that. I, I truly believed, hey, this is the way I am. I've got to carve the world around my needs and everyone else needs to kind of get out of my way so I can have buffer my world. And um, it, it is through polyvagal theory and Cameron, thank you for all the education you've provided over these last months that I begin to understand not only is it, is it possible, but it can happen on a daily basis. Absolutely. And to me, all of this passionate experience around polyvagal theory really stems from my personal experience. And for years, you know, working as a successful trauma therapist, which means people came, we did work together, they felt safer, they felt more empowered to make choices in their lives, they healed and they left. And there I was in my office wondering, what is wrong with me? Why am I not getting better? Why is it so hard for me to heal? And, and developing quite a deep well of shame, you know, as if mm. there was something really innately wrong with me because mm. I, I was struggling and I didn't really know, I hadn't even met safety yet, but my biology, 
had been so wired into those habitual survival responses. And I, as they say, I couldn't see the forest for the trees. That statement that I believe there was something wrong with me. I can so identify that with Cameron. And I have heard that from so many people that are convinced, yes, that might be true for other people, but I'm different. I, there's something really broken inside of me. And I can remember 20 some years ago having that conversation with my husband. Look, this probably won't be a good idea for you. It's not going to end well because I, I'm really broken. And thank goodness he saw through that, right? Um, for me, at least, um, it, it, that's a hard, hard place to be. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that all three of us have acknowledged that we're coming to this exploration, not only professionally, but also personally from our own longstanding experience of being dysregulated. And I think one thing that's so poignant about what we're bringing up here is that before we have the lens of polyvagal theory to look through, when we experience ourselves and our relationship to um, our identity and the external world, it often feels when we have a longstanding history of dysregulation that something is quote unquote wrong. Um, and, and that feels um, indefinite. Um, you know, and I think that the gift of polyvagal theory is that we're able to honor, first of all, that I heard Pat Ogden, um, a woman who um, specializes in the treatment of trauma and is a, is a beautiful writer and speaker. I heard her say recently that we need to acknowledge our strengths and we need to start by acknowledging that anybody who has been dysregulated or who has experienced trauma or hard experiences is a very well-resourced and strong person because we're here talking about it, which means we made it through. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And polyvagal theory offers us this lens that what we're experiencing that feels like something wrong to us is actually a survival state that at some point served us. And it's just still with us. Megan, and our biology needed that. Yeah. Megan, I'd love for you to say a little bit more about that. That's very intriguing to me. But so if survival state. Yeah, so I think that uh, we know that most of the communication in our nervous system from through the mind and body, you know, we often in the past working from an old paradigm talked about the control or communication running from the mind to the body. And research has shown now that most of the communication in our nervous system runs from the body to the mind, which gives us so much, um, it's a doorway for us to open into not only what we're experiencing in our bodies often, but also a path towards healing. That being said, um, I think that when we are sort of talking about this longstanding experience of dysregulation and feeling that something is wrong, um, sometimes something feels wrong out in the world, sometimes something feels wrong inside of us. Um, in our function. And we 
become hyper-focused on that because when we have a history of trauma, we orient more towards danger and threat. And so we become hyper-focused on every little thing in our body that feels wrong, or like Lauren said, trying to buffer our external environment so that nothing comes along that feels threatening or dangerous to us. And if it does, we have a way to handle it. Polyvagal theory offers us this lens that whether we remember the trauma or the hard experiences in our life or not, remember, sometimes we just have an emotion associated with them and not an actual explicit memory. Um, they inform our nervous system. And we used either a sympathetic mobilized place or we used a shutdown sort of reptilian freeze and um, immobilized place to get through those hard moments. Whether they were something that was actually happening in our world or something that we perceived as dangerous, we used one of those two states of the nervous system to get through that. And that informed our nervous system with that strategy. And we just continue to live that and employ that in our body day to day in how we relate to ourselves and others. So it lives on. Mm -hmm. Megan, thank you for elaborating on that. Cameron, I, I was thinking about this and I'd love to hear if you see this as correct. Based on what Megan was saying, I was thinking about when, when I personally would experience that sense of being broken, I, I either was broken and sympathetic. Oh my gosh, I have to find a solution. Can this help? Can this help? You know, what about this? Oh, I bet it's this in this very mobilized place or I'm broken. I can't do anything about this. I it's just how it is. I'm going to be in my little shell. And, and would that be correct in your view, Cameron, that we kind of, we kind of loop between those two states in that brokenness? Very much so, Lauren. It, it's just, for me, it's mind boggling and it's such a point of pivoting in my work with clients, but in my own work with myself, because when our biology has been pulled to a survival state, that is our most fundamental imperative. Connection, which we are also hardwired through, cannot be an issue when survival. So any system that has experienced, particularly early on in, in formulated life, a challenge that is overwhelming and perceived, biologically perceived, neuroceptive, precognitively, sometimes it's pre-language, as overwhelming, our system goes into an adaptive survival mm -hmm. response. At that moment, because it's a survival response and the biology of survival, mobilization is the first step, which is, you know, I need to either run or fight. Cognition, perspective, curiosity, the ability to give or receive compassion. It's like that part of our evolved brain goes offline. Mm -hmm. It is unplugged. And we need that regulation, that ventral vagal state in order really to change anything, to heal, to interact, to have new perspective, to have new wiring. And it was so simple for me to see, not easy to do, but anytime we're in an adaptive survival response, which may have become that, that 
habitual habit response in any of those dysregulated places, our biology is taking us back into what was needed for survival. And the thought that we can befriend our autonomic nervous systems through polyvagal theory to begin to recognize when we've been pulled away from our place of resource, our place of innate possibility of healing, we simply need to find our way back. Then we can proceed with life, engagement, healing. But again, when I appreciate we fundamentally, it is biologically impossible to have anything other than that survival response when we get pulled back into it. I think it's kind of like, you know, it's that's the old wiring that we needed. Yeah. I had a wonderful conversation earlier with a, an esteemed colleague and all she really needed to know in the moment was recognizing, oh, I'm dysregulated. <laughs> and she was trying to figure out the solution from that dysregulated place. And then when she couldn't figure out what she needed to do from the dysregulated place, she just burst into tears. And I, all I need to say, you know, where are you? And I said, maybe at one point this was needed for your safety, but maybe, maybe it's not needed anymore. And she called back a few minutes later and said, thank you so much for helping me back in your regulation. She said, I'm gonna go work on all sorts of inspired things right now. I am feeling completely different. And that happened in the course of under 10 minutes. And that's our autonomic nervous system and how when we can have them as our allies, the possibility of, of engaging in life is just amazing. And when we don't have that regulation, we're out of luck in a big way. Cameron, I think something that you just said that is so worth repeating and so powerful is if we sort of come back to the question that we started with. So is it possible to experience ourselves in life and form new autonomic habits? Is it possible to experience life differently and to actually be able to um, form new habits such that it makes a meaningful difference in our experience of life. What you said is so powerful that when we are in a state of survival, that part that can imagine that it's possible is unplugged. It is not biologically available. So if you're listening to this, and having feelings of it all sounds great, but that is not my experience of it. That is perfectly okay because in those states of survival that continue to play out for us, um, in the process of forming those new autonomic habits, we can't often access that. It's okay to believe that it's not possible for now. And it's also okay to just sort of allow the support of the three of us who have touched in to the possibilities of new autonomic habits, just sort of for now, just let that feel like support that we are experiencing it a new way at times. It is possible. Yeah, whether I'm teaching or working with um, you know, clients, the number one question was, I don't think this is possible. I don't believe you, how, how, how will I know this is possible? And, and I say, I can convince you till the cows come home, but only your experience yeah. of knowing that it's possible matters. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I think one of the most powerful things that from my experience, I would like to share with um, the listener that's asking this question and all the listeners that are in this position is this 
it really is a minute shift between trying to push yourself into another state mm -hmm. versus allowing mm -hmm. the state you're in and then asking yourself what one small thing could I do right now to make me feel safer or more comfortable in this experience? This sounds so absurd when people spend thousands and thousands of dollars in therapy and medications and, and what, whatever, and not to belittle any of that, but just that, that minute shift in how we approach it has been truly life-changing for me. Mm -hmm. mm. You know, I think Lauren, that that is a beautiful example of um, how we orient. And I heard somebody talk about recently and remind me that when we're in a, a state of protection, we orient again, as we just said, towards things that feel dangerous or feel threatening to us. And so um, I think what you're saying is, if we're conscious and we can offer ourselves a different way to orient, and this is not always something we can do for ourselves, but something certainly we can do for each other, is to orient towards something, to notice something, to observe something that feels comforting or feels beautiful or feels, um, you know, sometimes rhythm can do this or sometimes, um, the feeling of being contained can do this. We all need different things to reorient towards that feel comforting. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think when we're co-regulating with each other, it is a gift that we can offer each other um, to reorient towards something um, that doesn't feel dangerous, just for a moment, mm -hmm. reorient towards something that feels beautiful or comfortable. And that begins to redefine, even if it's for a nanosecond, and notice that safety is attainable. Something else is possible. And we weave together those seemingly infinitesimal moments of, you know, just inviting our systems into more regulation. And that's the, the pattern of bringing in that change. And I know that I've been asked, it's like, well, if we're stuck with this old traumatic wiring, how do we take it apart and have something new? And we actually don't take it apart. We acknowledge that it's there and it was needed. And then little bit by little bit, we overlay the possibility of safety and change is, is all those little, sometimes micro moments of new experience. And that new experience weaves itself into the new wiring. And our autonomic nervous system wants efficiency, it wants possibility, it longs for, for good regulation inside and around us in our environment, it's easier. Mm -hmm. So the nervous system will choose the more efficient, the more optimal, the easier wiring if given, given the possibility. Yeah, so uh, this past week, I was on a um, long car ride. I had two 14 hour car rides in a week with my family. We drove to Colorado from Missouri and um, it was the four of us, my husband and myself and our two boys. And I, was, I had some really good 
opportunities, real life opportunities to observe myself and observe this sort of um, pushing versus allowing that Lauren is introducing that is so, um, so beautifully said and seems so simple, but when we're practicing it in real life, it can also be kind of challenging. And I, I would notice that when, you know, there were times when the car ride felt pretty peaceful, right? And, and actually sometimes in that peace, depending on where I was, it could be experienced as peace or it could also sort of be experienced as I, I would feel myself longing for some connection at times and just watching that. Now, the other extreme of that, that um, I had some really good opportunities around were the times when the car felt very chaotic um, because there's four of us and we all have different needs and we wanna be doing different things and how are we gonna entertain ourselves and somebody's irritating you and, so the chaos in the car and how I engaged with that or didn't, really I was able to have some frustration and some real laughs and some real awareness around that. So when the boys were bickering or yelling or there was some sort of chaos ensuing, did I give them space to work it out themselves and allow and not get involved or did I not get involved because I was completely shut down and I was just ignoring them, right? Those can look like two different things from the outside, but be experienced as really different things. And anyway, as Cameron was saying, little by little, I sort of figured out strategies for how to reorient or allow some comfort to come in for myself. So I really resonate with rhythm. And so sometimes for me, that feels like music, whatever kind of music I need in that moment on my earbuds to help get me back into a place where I can engage and allow without jumping on them and becoming over-mobilized or shutting down. And so there was just this layering of sort of experiencing that it was possible at times when it didn't feel possible at the beginning. Mm. Megan, I can so feel for you in that experience. And it it's so remarkable to have these opportunities and know they're there, they're time boxed in, right? Like I'm, I, I, this is a great laboratory. I'm about to yeah. embark on something very similar with a lot different characters. Um, leaving tomorrow morning, my husband and I will be together nonstop in travel mode for 48 hours. And it begins with a train ride tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. And needless to say, we have very different needs for safety, um, particularly when it comes to timetables and um, meeting trains or I, I like to get there with plenty of time and spaciousness and look around and maybe have a tea and be ready. And he likes to run up and get right on the train, right? Um, so, you know, it's all about the same thing, Megan. It's opportunities to observe myself. And, and I think saying this to all of our listeners, there are some safer places and opportunities to observe yourself. And if you find something that feels pleasurable to you, 
but also could be threatening, I think this is a real good um, classroom, so to speak, for learning. I know my experiences here hiking because I adore hiking. And it also has a lot of baggage that I bring to it. So finding those things that are pleasurable, but then also observing yourself, I would say is a wonderful step forward in how do I change these patterns? Yeah, I just wanna bring up an interesting point here that is just popping into my mind that I feel like is important. So um, we're talking about just uh, you know, day-to-day -day ways that we can observe ourselves or that we can use this as a lab and um, the ways that we go into protective modes in our real life day-to-day -day experience. Now, if you're listening to this thinking like, okay, well, you went on a car ride with your family or okay, you're traveling back from Europe, you know, this doesn't sound that traumatic. I have some really big traumas that I'm dealing with. I we're all actually talking about the same thing. And I want to hold space for that and just acknowledge that the reason why we're moving into protective states in something as simple as a car ride or a travel back from Europe is because we have histories where we all have had adverse um, experiences in our life that have informed us. And so these day-to-day -day sort of simpler things that cause us to go into survival mode, this is the perfect example of how those earlier traumas live on. And so it's worth exploring the day-to-day -day things even when they don't feel like a big deal. Because not only is this a safer ground for healing, um, but the, these, are, these are the small ways that we inform our autonomic nervous system about new habits. These are like the little ways that we can start to, on a cellular level, feel that it's possible. Wow. So perfectly put, Megan. And understanding that biology means our state always precedes the story. Often we don't get there until the story is saying, that's just like what used to happen all the time. So this is not a safe moment in time. We've already missed the opportunity to befriend our autonomic nervous system and offer it a different experience. And it happens so quickly because those habits are the wiring that was needed in lots of our earlier experience. And so we really, that on our way to, you know, befriending our autonomic nervous system and making it that our ally, we have to be curious, we have to play. It's like forming that new relationship. You know, what, what's happening right now? Where are we going? Ooh, I seem to have gone somewhere. It's reminding me of, oh, and there we, we, we play with what would be appealing to my autonomic nervous system in the smallest of ways. Is it, you know, a phone call with a friend or is it simply looking outside or a, a trusted moment with, a, you know, a pet or, image of a sunrise or sunset or a, a music rhythm. There are so many ways we can offer and explore what appeals to our autonomic nervous system to really start offering that new experience. Yeah. yeah. And the powerful, you know, the power of something that seems simple, like Cameron said, you know, a sunrise or a sunset or looking at a flower, it can seem very simple and easy to say like, oh, well, that sounds nice. But the research really does show that we can re 
wire our brains that, you know, our genes cannot be changed, but the way they express themselves can even be changed when we integrate trauma. We are talking, these are real healing strategies that change the way we experience our life and the way our brain is wired. Yeah. As I often am caught saying, we can't change our histories, but we can change our relationship to it. Yeah. It can receive truly into the background, our histories, our early experiences, actually for our access, they don't go away, but think of that state of possibility that can be added in respect and, and also, you know, allowing that healthy attachment. Yeah. Not have to relive it daily. You know, before we end, I think that's so important. We've been trying to be mindful about always reiterating for ourselves and for those of you listening, that this is an exploration and, um, you know, a, an experience and a practice. So um, we invite you to come on this exploration and this practice of how to um, form new autonomic habits and experience safety um, with each other and with ourselves. Yeah, yeah it is a practice, Megan, uh, for sure. And I, I would invite our listeners to do what I like to call is home play. Find mm -hmm. something playful that you feel somewhat comfortable with and observe yourself and play in a very loving, compassionate way with that idea of inviting, allowing and inviting in what you need rather than shifting. And, and just notice when you try to control because we're all wired to do that. That's, yeah. that's, why, we're, that's why we're talking about this right now. <laughs> Ladies. Yeah, I had this. Oh, sorry. I just want to say one more thing. I had this little aha recently. For those of you that have been listening, you probably heard me say several times that one of my safe places is awake in my bed. I love to be awake in my bed. And um, I had this little aha this week about how that is the reason why I love that is because the things that mean. So I, I love blankets and I love. Um, the feeling of the container of my bed. And so it, it is interesting. I, I didn't know why I loved it before, but it was okay that it made me feel safe without knowing why. Um, but as we're on this practice together, um, I'm learning more about myself, uh, thanks to you all. And uh, so it was a fun little breakthrough for me. Congratulations. <laughs> Any last words from you, Cameron? I think it really is when we take practices, any establishing quote unquote new healthy habits, let's say something like flossing. <laughs> you're, you're, you decided to embark on trying because it might be a healthy habit to use dental floss once a day. And, and you know, it's like, is this really gonna make a difference? But each time if we can explore it with a little bit, it's like, oh, well, that wasn't that hard. And that wasn't, oh, I could find a way to position it at the corner of the sink. So I, I think about it, but bringing curiosity, bringing playfulness and, and I wouldn't miss a day without flossing now because it makes me feel good. I'm like, why not? And that's, it's a silly example, but it also is just a way to realize that playing and not struggling. I spent decades <laughs> trying to make myself better, make myself meditate, go to the gym, whatever, eat better. You hear it in my voice. 
How well did that go? <laughs> oh, thanks, Cameron. And thanks for making us all laugh. I think it's so important. And that in itself is yeah. regulating, right? Yeah. Oh, when I can laugh at myself as I needed to yesterday, because I was trying something that was a little bit challenging for me in, in technology, but starting to have those fun conversations and laugh at myself was my way of inviting myself. You know, we can do this. It's that relationship with what's going on anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't need yeah. to repeat all my old patterns because I could catch that opportunity to do it differently and play with it. Mm -hmm. Ladies, thank you. Megan, thank you for bringing that question to our conversations and especially to our listener. And I'd like to invite all of our listeners to share with us um, by contacting uh, any of us through our websites and our email addresses. Um, it's CameronScottMA.com yeah. and AccuLimp.com and yeah. Lauren Kubalay.com. So Megan, yeah. Yeah, I have I have a resource that I think might be helpful that is so related to this topic that we're talking about. There's a woman who um, comes from my hometown of Philadelphia. Her name is Dr. Nicole LaPera. Have you any of you heard of her? Okay. Anyway, she is um, a um, practicing psychologist and she has a big social media presence. She calls herself the holistic psychologist. And she has so bravely um, and powerfully shared her own uh, story of dysregulation, both from a personal and professional way, and has a beautiful book where you can um, go on this journey with her through her healing work and what that process looked like. So I'm gonna hold it up for anybody who's watching this. Let's see. It's called How to Do the Work mm -hmm. um, by Dr. Nicola Perra. It just came out recently. And it is a beautiful read about um, one woman's personal and professional experience of what's possible. Thanks for offering that, Megan. Okay, ladies, I look forward to our next conversations. Thanks so much.